In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Officially begins a new year. And interestingly, it starts by focusing on the second coming of Christ, our King and Savior. Thankfully, that's the starting place. There will be over the next four Sundays an invitation to think about the signs that will accompany Jesus' return, as well as the church's role in proclaiming his kingship. But this morning the emphasis is on our own readiness, the spiritual soul-searching and house-cleaning that needs to be done in order to receive the Lord God Almighty himself. Right away, that may be a turnoff. We all have enough stuff to do after all, and the pandemic seems to have weighted us down even more. Fair enough. How about this? Let's simplify it. The key, or the core, to our spiritual preparations may be summarized in one word, love. That's it. In the epistle, this first epistle of the new church year, the first Bible reading of Advent, the word is love. Owe no man anything but to love one another. It's a word about the heart, the will, it's a word about relationships. In order to be ready to meet the Lord Jesus, we must be living in the way of his love. The New International Version of the Bible puts it this way, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. It's interesting that Paul used this word, oh, that he put it that way. Oh, no one anything but love. The verses that lead up to this instruction help us understand why he put it that way. The previous verses speak about a Christian's duty with regards to the government. Pay to all what is owed them, Paul wrote. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Then he said, owe no man anything except to love one another. In other words, I may get all my bills paid and up to date, but there is one bill that I will never finish with bill or the debt of love. As one commentator put it, you owe it to all who are created in the image of God. Especially you owe it to all who are fellow members of Christ. It is a God-given obligation from which we will never be free. Well, there it is, the most important ground to be worked in preparation for our King's return, the ground of my heart and my will to love others. 
God is no fool. He knows whether I love him by the way I treat others. So St. Paul says, owe no one anything but to love one another. The Greek word that Paul used for love here in today's epistle is agape. A young Christian writer named Alyssa wrote, contributed this clear and helpful explanation of agape to the website Christianity.com. Agape, she wrote, could be defined as charity. However, we often think of charity nowadays as giving away money or things, which doesn't encompass all of what agape is. Agape love is unconcerned with the self and concerned with the greatest good of another. Agape isn't born just out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, or attraction. It's born from the will and as a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. In the Bible, agape love is love that comes from God. God's love is not sentimental. It's part of his character. God loves from an outpouring of who he is. St. John said, God is love, agapos, meaning he's the source of agape love. His love is undeserved by us. His love is gracious and sacrificial. As his children, we are to love God and we are to love each other with agape love. Agape is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a deliberate striving for another's highest good. It strives to lift people up, to build them up, and it's demonstrated through action. God set the standard for agape love in sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. So we are to owe no one anything except agape love. All our bills to be paid up except that one. Okay, why? For two reasons, this way of love is of God and from God. It is, as Alyssa wrote, said, part of his character. Second reason is because it's life-giving. Agape love is life-giving. Whenever I respond to the Spirit's prompting to open my heart, to look beyond myself and reach out and love another person, I'm doing something that is after God's own heart. Another way of saying this is that I'm actually participating in a divine thing that builds up and gives new life, that brings a heavenly perspective. When St. John wrote in his first epistle, God is love, he used the Greek word agape. 
So whenever you exercise patience or kindness, whenever you pray or hope the best for somebody, including an enemy, whenever you go without something in order to help another person, whenever you fast and pray, whenever you bear another person's burden, whenever you stand with somebody for a truly good cause, even though it's unpopular, whenever you testify to what is good and true and holy, in all those cases, you are uniting your heart and your will to the heart of the Trinity and to Christ, our King. It's important to note at this point the difference between our culture's idea of love and the Lord's agape love. Here's the bottom line. Whereas agape love is gracious, sacrificial, and unselfish, the world operates on a consumer model. Psychologist Eric Fromm describes it this way, our character is geared to exchange and to receive, to barter and to consume everything, spiritual as well as material objects, become an object of exchange and of consumption. What he says reminds me of a baby when everything starts to go into their mouth. Everything is about consuming. To receive, to consume, give me, give me, give me. How different from the actions taken by God for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How opposed the bartering of the world is to the babe who was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. How far, far removed is our culture's consumer model of love to the agape of Christ at Calvary. Agape gives life when it's not deserved. It transforms and builds up. Consumer love creates competition. It fosters jealousy. It can be manipulative. It crushes the weak and drains our energy. Maybe, maybe God is using the pandemic to show us the differences. As we think about all this, this debt of love that we owe to each other in preparation for Christ's return, it would be a mistake not to highlight the Holy Eucharist. Of all the services or worship patterns Jesus could have given, he instituted the Eucharist. What is the central focus the sacrifice of Jesus and the nourishing of God's people. What happens at the Holy Communion? We put out our hands. Why? 
Because we're hungry, we're needy, we're empty for love. So we put out our hands to receive the body of Christ. And in love, even though we don't deserve it, he feeds us. He gives us himself. It's all about agape. Once again today, he calls out to us, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. He wants to fill our hearts with his perfect love. And then he asks you and me to be a conduit, to be a channel of his love for the world. So every Sunday, on the day of his son's resurrection, our Heavenly Father invites us, his adopted children, from the gutter of worldly loves up to the beauty of his mountaintop heavenly love. The beauty and the hopefulness which God's agape love brings, even in the midst of our greatest adversities, is powerfully illustrated by something that happened in the Battle of Stalingrad in 1943. The battle is infamous as one of the largest, longest, and bloodiest engagements in modern warfare. From August 1942 through February 1943, more than two million troops of Germany and Russia fought in close quarters in the city of Stalingrad, house to house. And nearly two million troops and civilians were killed or injured in the fighting during that time. Amongst those on the ground in Stalingrad was Kurt Ruber. He was a Lutheran pastor. He was also a painter and a surgeon and he'd been conscripted, conscripted to serve in the German 6th Army. During the Advent season, he began to think about what he could do to bring some hope to the German soldiers he was serving. He considered their desperate condition. They were exhausted, cold, hungry, and they were losing. He wrote to his family, I wondered for a long time what I should paint. And in the end, I decided on a Madonna, or mother and child. I have turned my hole in the frozen mud into a studio. There are no proper materials, and I have used a Russian map for paper. The picture looks like this, he said. The mother's head and the child's lean toward each other, and a large cloak enfolds them both. It is intended to symbolize security and mother's love. I remember the words of St. John, light, life, love. What more can I add? Ruber pinned the drawing on a clay wall in his bunker for his unit celebration of Christmas, which he described as a moment 
of Christian devotion shared by all the soldiers in his command. His comrades stood as if entranced, many too moved to speak in front of the picture on the clay wall. Thoughtfully, some would read the words, light, life, love. Whether commander or simple soldier, the Madonna was always an object of outward and inward contemplation. A copy of Ruber's Madonna has been placed on the little table at the front of the chancel stairs. It's a gift from Valerie. The details surrounding its creation are profound, but the message it conveys is very simple. Agape love. The light, life, and love of a mother's unselfish love. Without it, infants fail to thrive. It's a proven fact. And so we owe this love to each other always. That we may be channels of this powerful hope and peace of this agape love that we all might thrive in the new life of Christ's truth and healing grace. In the morning's Gospel, the same one that we read on Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went straight to the temple. Once there, he drove out everybody who was buying and selling. He flipped over the money changers' tables and the seats of the dove sellers, exclaiming, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. There it was in the temple that day, just like the description from Eric Fromm a few minutes ago. Consumer love. Bartering in order to possess. Consumption the end goal. Competition. There was no
and we expect the Lord Jesus Christ to return. He has promised to do that, and he keeps his word. For the first time, he came humbly and quietly like a lamb, the Lamb of God, to be our Savior. The second time, he will come with power and great glory as our judge and king. He will come to root out all traces of consumption love. It cannot exist in his presence, he who is perfect love. He will come to purify, to refine, to cleanse. He will not come casually, and there will be no fooling around. Knowing this, let us make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Instead, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his word to us this morning. Cast off the works of darkness that flow from selfish love. Put on the armor of light, the clothing of agape. So let us take off the old clothes and put on the new. Let us acknowledge those relationships that are blocked or suffering. Let us respond to him who calls to make a payment on the debt of his agape love. Let us repent of our selfish loves and the darkness it brings, and let us step into the glorious light and love of our King. We are to do that, and yet we know that in many cases, there are those who are unwilling to take a step forward. So we must pray for discernment as we approach the relationships that are blocked and suffering, and ask for wisdom. Perhaps what we will be called to do is simply to pray for that person. We must be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as we open our hearts to relationships that are blocked and suffering. It's time to close. In saying all of this today, in underlining the obligation and the debt of agape love, I've not forgotten that we're in the midst of a pandemic and very uncertain times. Perhaps on the edge of a severe economic downturn. There is a lot of speculation about what will be coming next for us as a nation and as global citizens. There are discussions abounding about our rights and freedoms as individuals. There are questions about the intersection of Christian faith and action. And there's a lot of wrestling to be done by the church in terms of the Bible's call for us to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. There are also important questions to be wrestled with amongst Christians about end times 
For example, is this pandemic one of the pestilences which Jesus mentioned among the signs of the last days? The thing is, there is one thing which must inform or be part of the Christian's response to every one of these questions across the board. As we try to discern our response to these questions that must be included in every answer, and it's agape love. Why? Because God is agape. The life-giving, illuminating, transforming agape of God, which was demonstrated perfectly in Jesus Christ, in the manger at Bethlehem, in his temptations in the wilderness, in his first miracle at Cana of Galilee, in his humiliation, bloody suffering, and death outside Jerusalem, tell us we owe the debt of love to each other and to everyone who bears the image of God. This is the uniquely Christian call. It is the cross we take up in imitation of our Savior. The Lord commands this of us, his people. I leave you with this word from Sister Basilia Schlink, a Lutheran nun and co-founder of the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary, of which there was a branch in New Brunswick. She wrote, if we do not lose confidence in the love of God, we will be invincible. Satan will not be able to defeat us. In the coming times, it will become evident whether we really trust in God and can submit to his will. Whether we are victorious or whether we fail depends not on our own resources, but on our love for God, which is at one with his will and trust in his love. If we could always understand God's actions, if we experienced nothing but miracles, we would never learn to be overcomers. What makes us strong is unity with the incomprehensible will of the Father. If we are one with the will of God, we are united with the all-powerful maker of heaven and earth, the Lord of hosts. How then can we possibly be weak? Jesus promised that he would come again. Every year we draw closer to his return. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us unite our hearts to his this Advent season. With patience and forgiveness, let us love one another that we may be found ready when our King returns. Now unto God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we ascribe all majesty, honor, dominion, power, and glory, as is most justly due, henceforth and forevermore. Amen. Um.